0: Hey guys, the final episode is here exclusively on ESPN+, Plus, which means that all episodes are now streaming for Man in the Arena, Tom Brady. Despite 22 seasons and 10 Super Bowl appearances, if you don't know Tom Brady, this is your chance to hear Tom Brady like you've never heard him before, it features Tom Brady's three sisters, Giselle Buncheon, Tom Brady Sr., Rob Gronkowski, Michael Strahan, and more. All episodes now streaming on ESPN Plus, presented by Under Armour. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. I'm Bill Barnwell. Today, it's Robert Mays of The Athletic joining me to break down some of the more curious decisions. From the first round of the NFL Draft. But first, before we get into today's episode, I'd like to tell you about the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. Yes, Mina Kimes, I don't know if you've heard of her, very talented, very smart ESPN football analyst, and her dog, Lenny. This podcast gets you ready for the NFL Draft as Mina is joined by her friends each episode to talk about the latest NFL storylines. And of course, Lenny chips in with his scouting and research finds as well. That's the Mina Kimes show featuring her dog, Lenny. Listen, wherever you get your podcast. All right. Joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell show, as promised, a regular contributor to my life. In in addition to this podcast, someone who, how how many hours of content did you produce during the NFL draft? It was a lot.
1: We did eight and a half live hours, I think, on Thursday and Friday, and then I was, I was traveling Saturday, so Lindsay handled the podcast with those two guys, which was great, and I, I appreciate her deeply, and then I did an hour-long show with Nate yesterday. It, it was actually really fun, and with the draft especially, none of it sinks in, so after the draft was over on Thursday, I went back to my hotel, and I was playing blackjack with one of my friends. And I sat down next to a guy and we started having conversations. He's like, yeah, I like the show. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And he was a Lions fan. He's like, how do you think our draft went? And I was like, oh, you know, you guys got Jamison Williams, right? Like, that's good. And you, know, you trade up to get him. But, you know, it's, you're a really good player. I'm sure that's going to work out well. And I just forgot they had drafted Aiden, Hutch- Aiden Hutchinson with the second <laughs> overall pick. <laughs> In my mind, the, the Lions' first round haul was Jamison Williams, and that was it. I forgot that they literally had the second overall pick in the draft. So that's what the draft is like for me. There's eight hours of content, and I retain nothing that happens, oh, which shit. nice for me. I work with a bunch of draft experts, so they're able to kind of pick up the slack in that row, which was great.
0: The good news is I have you on the show today to be the draft expert while we break down the first round of the NFL draft.
1: So that I can do. I mean, the first round is I've thought about it, looked at it, I have retained some of the information since.
0: Okay, I'm not going to quiz you on on who got drafted. That is not part of what we're doing today on the show. Oh, by God, by yeah. the way, by the way, this is Robert Mays of the Athletic. In case you did not know already, uh, Mays, we're going to talk about some of the more controversial decisions from the first round. And, and yes. I think I, I think the easiest place to do that is to start with the first overall pick, where for months, Aiden Hutchinson was the prohibitive favorite to be the first overall pick. And then like in the last 10 days, things changed. Trayvon Walker, the prohibitive favorite by the time he got to draft day, and Trayvon Walker, the first overall pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you guys had a, I believe a pretty long conversation on your live stream about the idea of drafting Trayvon Walker, knowing that you need him to be more than the player you've seen to justify being the first overall pick.
1: It's an experiment in the idea of drafting for upside versus drafting for production. I mean, you look at Aiden Hutchinson, you look at Drayvon Walker, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm not saying Hutchinson, Aiden Hutchinson has no upside. I mean, he's a better athlete than he was framed as in the process by some people. If you look at some sure. of his testing numbers, and it's been said a million times and Dayton said this multiple times. We were talking about it. His three cone time, it's better than Vaughn Miller's. You know, he has some change of direction ability and he is a pretty good athlete. Mm-hmm. But Trayvon Walker is Trayvon Walker is probably, I think Miles Garrett is probably number one. If we were going back through, let's say, over the last decade, when okay. it came to pass rushers and the overall their physical profile, length, explosion, size. You know, he's 275. He's got crazy long arms, mm-hmm. ran a four, 40 in the four fives, it, every jumping number that you would want. Miles Garrett is in that conversation as a 275 guy, too. That's mm-hmm. really it. I mean, they're in their own range in terms of physical talent. The difference is Miles Garrett had like 30 sacks <laughs> in college, and Trayvon Walker did nothing. And you're,
0: well, Mena, hold on, hold on. You're going to get some angry messages. Trayvon Walker did not do nothing, but he did not do what Miles Garrett did.
1: His production is so far on the other end of the spectrum. Sure. If you we're talking about defensive ends, pass rushers drafted in at number one and even in the top three. I mean, it tweeted this right around when I had been looking it up, which I thought was funny. Those guys. When you talk about sacks and tackles for loss, their sack numbers typically over the course of a career, whether it's Miles Garrett, Mario Williams, even a guy like Jadevian Clowney, who had double-digit sacks his second year at South Carolina. It's like 25 to 30 career sacks over three seasons and about 80 combined tackles for loss and sacks. Mm -hmm. Trayvon Walker isn't even in that zip code. He is so far away from the guys who typically get drafted at the top of the draft or within the top three. You're betting on an outlier. And not that many guys have had that little production and ended up being really good NFL players. Daniil Hunter is the example people, people kept coming back to. Mm-hmm. Daniel Hunter was a third round pick for a reason. Yeah. And the, the guy that I think is the most comparable and the one that you're really hoping is the track that Trayvon Walker ends up following is Rashawn Gary. Mm-hmm. Rashawn Gary was a traits guy. He went in the top half of the first round. It took a while, but Rashawn Gary was, according to PFF, the most productive pass rusher on a per at basis in the NFL last year. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're betting on. That's a thin window. Yeah, <laughs> That's a tiny band where we're saying, oh, if he's like this one guy, this will work out. And especially for a team like the Jags, who there are no players that the Jaguars have drafted in the first two rounds outside of Cam Robinson since 2014, mm-hmm. from 2014 through 2019, I want to say. All the guys that their rookie contracts have ended. Cam Robinson is the only player still on the roster. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, it's not even about hitting with those players. It's about retaining them. (laughs) I don't need all pros. I just need a guy who's going to still be on the team. Mm -hmm. And Trayvon Walker is not that sort of bet. Aiden Hutchinson probably would have been, And I think that's why it's such an interesting conversation.
0: Okay. But if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think you have two arguments here. Number one, that was not Doug Peterson. That was... Gus Bradley, that was uh, Doug Marone, that was Urban Meyer. Hopefully, things are different now. And, and I think the second part of that is, like, if if you can't do this, if you can't take the players you draft and count on making them better, you're screwed anyway. Like, there's no point. Yeah. You're, you're gonna you're gonna lose no matter what. So, but that's
1: still it's a, such a bigger projection, and there's so much more development necessary than some of the other guys they could have taken with the first overall pick. It's you're really betting on your coaching more with Trayvon Walker than you are with some of the other guys that were available.
0: Yeah, I mean you're you're getting handed an incredible piece of clay. I mean the athletic numbers, like you said, are just out of this world for Trayvon Walker. But I, I guess let me ask you this: How much development does he have to make as a pass rusher? whether you want to say in terms of his ability, in terms of his numbers, what does Trayvon Walker's first four years have to look like for the Jaguars to feel like they made the right decision here?
1: I think it's about opportunity first and foremost. He wasn't used as a pure pass rusher that often within that Georgia scheme where he's lined up not even as an outside outside six technique as often nearly as often as some of these other guys were. But even on a percentage basis, he doesn't have much of a plan. He's not refined in that area. He's, he will be a good run defender. He'll be a plus run defender from day one because of the way he plays, because of the length, all of those things. But with a number one overall pick, there's yeah. not much solace in. He'll be a good run defender from day one. I If I were doing this, if I were the Jags, if I were Doug Peterson, Trent Baalke, it wouldn't have been a conversation between Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker with the number one pick. I yeah. just wouldn't have franchise tagged Cam Robinson and I would have taken one of the tackles and never uh-huh. thought about it again.
0: But wouldn't you rather have Cam Robinson and Trayvon Walker than Ike kwanu and I don't know whoever they would have signed in free agency as a pass rusher?
1: For one year. I mean you gave one year of Cam Robinson. I don't know if he'll be on the team next year.
0: They they resigned so.
1: him. Did he sign an extension?
0: He signed a three year fifty-one million dollar extension. When was this? Uh, it was it was last week there was this thing called the NFL draft happening maybe you were busy I, I I was you know not at the draft so I was able to see things from the broader perspective I was not caught up in Las Vegas uh, playing Blackjack uh, 18 million a year three years 54 million signed on April 27th.
1: I'm sorry, the last time I was looking, I spent like my life on Arlette's over the last two weeks and it, 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 the, the little FP in black yep. ink was next to his name. I know I know, stretch,
0: so. I know exactly what you mean. And I have made that mistake before, but yeah, they so they, they did end up resigning him. But again, he's not like, it, it's not like they're resigning him and they're bringing back Trent Williams. Like they're bringing back a guy who is a passable left tackle. Like I, I you, you pay closer attention to stuff than I do. I've never got the vibe that he was, you know, a, a, a even above average NFL left tackle.
1: Serviceable, I think is the right way to put it. It still says FP on this site. Somebody needs to get their stuff together because this is not my fault. I'm not <laughs> blaming someone else for this.
0: This this is not the R-Lads criticism podcast maze. This is about the NFL draft here. I I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, I, I think that I'm not surprised that you're vouching for a team taking an offensive line with the first overall pick here. Not anything new from you, but I, I agree with you here. And I think that, um, you know, I I think you could make a better case for Hutchinson than you can for Walker. I I just like you said, the track record here is so slim. Like you can find so many more guys who were drafted on limited production with great athleticism who did not pan out to be great guys. Guys like Dante Fowler, Dion Jordan come to mind, where they were drafted top three and did not. Vernon Golston. Vernon Golston. Um, you know, I, I think you can probably find three or four guys. Who were taken this high in the draft, as opposed to, um, you know, guys who did manage to pull that out. Like you said, Daniel Hunter was a third round pick, um, and and I think to be honest, the Jags would have preferred to trade out of this pick. I just don't think there was anybody who wanted to make that trade up for anything that would have been seen as more than an insult to move up to number one. So I think, you know, part of of rebuilding is getting the right number one pick at the right time. We thought that was the case last year with the Jags, but, um, you know, I I think that. This was not the right year to have the first overall pick.
1: No, it, it certainly wasn't. And there's certainly definitely no trade market for that spot because why would it matter? Who would pay to come up for it when in some order, probably the same, the first seven picks, mm-hmm. at least, are guys that were graded in the same range. I mean, you look at what the Giants did. I think that's a perfect example oh, where, where they flipped the picks, right? we Everyone expected them to go with the tackle at five and then figure out what was going to happen at seven. But because they were happy with both of those guys and knew they would take either one of the tackles, they took the pass rusher first. So I think that's indicative of the fact that they had those tackles probably ranked very similarly. And that's where that range of players, probably at seven right before Drake London gets picked, is where that top tier of players sat. So if every guy from one through seven is some version of the same guy, who has any interest in trading for the number one pick?
0: Mm -hmm. It's just so nice to feel like I'm not angry at the New York giants after the first round of the NFL draft, it's a new feeling for me. And it's just really pleasant. You know, it just- Well, feels- it lasted a round. <laughs> I mean, you know what? If, if, if taking uh Wandell Robinson means they're going to make smart moves at five and seven, I'm okay with that. Like, like it, the, the reverse was true in years past and it was not any fun.
1: I, we did a show yesterday that we recorded for today, me and Nate did, and we were trying to figure out what lessons we could learn. I always love doing this exercise. When the draft ends,
0: you're a big lesson guy.
1: I love lessons. I love learning. When you look, I I draft projecting the draft, understanding which drafts are good, which drafts are bad. is very difficult. I understand that we can look at process and trades up and all that stuff. And that's a, a reasonably good way to look at it. But my favorite thing after the draft ends is to look at a class and try to listen to what a team is telling us by the players that they drafted. Sure. And, I couldn't do it for the Giants. <laughs> I had no idea because there's there's no through line between the players. With the first get two, with the guys they picked at five and seven, mm-hmm. those are, we are starting over. These are franchise cornerstones. We have a tackle. We have a pass rusher. Yep. If there are five guys under contract on the 2023 Giants that are on the team right now, these are two good guys to start with and then they picked a 58 receiver later in the draft. <laughs> it it just doesn't it doesn't compute with the other moves they made in the first round. He could end up being fine, but it was difficult for me to find a theme to the New York Giants draft because one of these things is not like the other when I if mean, you look at their picks.
0: I mean the good news is the Giants don't have a gadget receiver uh who they acquired a year ago who they're trying to now trade for pennies on the dollar. But
1: I'll take him for pennies on the
0: dollar by the way yeah. in Chicago.
1: I'll take him right now.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean you remember how how dramatically um brandon bean and sean mcdermott turned over that buffalo roster they inherited like i i think i might be wrong here i believe within three years the only player left they had inherited was shaq lawson who was on, on first pick deal
1: i think Deion dawkins as well, Deion dawkins as well. uh may so uh, brian dable told me a story once i was at bill's training camp and we were talking about the ways that they were building around josh allen and this was going into Actually, it wasn't training camp. It was during the season in 2018. Whatever, 2018, I think. No, I'm going to get this wrong. Um, Sorry. Oh, it was 2019. Sorry. Okay. So it was during the season in 2019. It was when Josh Allen was clearly improving. And they, they were getting better, and he had improved in other areas of the roster. And Brian Dable told me a story about when he got there, because he got there a year after. They had spent one year with Rick Denison yep. during when McDermott was there. And they're, one of their first meetings of the entire offense he said everyone that was here last year raise your hand and Deion dawkins was the only guy (laughs) that was it on the entire offense they had one guy and i believe the 2018 bills i think they had 70 million dollars in dead money Mm -hmm. that they ate that year and if you look at where the giants are at they can reasonably move on from leonard williams kenny galladay or dory jackson all of those guys next year, they'll have to eat a lot of money, but they'll save money in the process of doing it. And it just feels like that's on the horizon. Well, they'll have $120 million in cap and you take one on the chin for a year, but it's smart in terms of long-term building. So that jump from what the Bills did to what the Giants will most likely do in the next 12 months, I don't think it's a leap. I think it makes a ton of sense, actually.
0: I mean, not much to lose relative to what was happening with the Giants in the years past. By the way, I was correct. Deion Dawkins was drafted by Sean McDermott in 2017. Shaq Lawson was there from 2016, the only player left from that draft class. So Yeah, so the
1: offense was, it was the only guy from the offense the year before Dable got there, because he got there in
0: 18. Um, That draft, by the way, Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins, Matt Milano, and Nathan Peterman. So you you don't win them all, but you win most of them. Um, I, I mean, I thought the Giants were very, reasonable. I I think if you had asked about what they were going to do in February and you would have told them you're going to get Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal, I think they would have been thrilled. So I, you know, this is not a team that can be very picky. If there was a franchise quarterback out there, it'd be a different story. But given what was out there, I thought they were very reasonable about how they approach things. I don't know what happened with Wendell Robinson, maybe he'll be great, I'm willing to give the this new regime some benefit of the doubt in the second round. Um, At three, I want to ask you about Derek Stingley because the Texans, I mean, could have gone in a lot of different directions. They were linked to one of the edge rushers, they were linked to one of the tackles possibly to play on the right side. Do you think drafting a cornerback this high, and Derek Stingley ahead of Montgardner, Gardner, by the way, um, do you think drafting a cornerback this high for where they are? made a lot of sense. I think it's okay. Just okay. I,
1: yeah. I, 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 in, um, with all the other options on the board, I have no issue with it. Be, it's, it's honestly similar to me in the same way you're looking at the Trayvon Walker argument and the reason that it's worth tra- drafting Trayvon Walker number one, it's based on the rest of this class. There aren't that many home run swings in the top 10 of the 2022 draft. Mm-hmm. Trayvon Walker is a home run swing. You're betting on what he could possibly be compared to the other guys. And it makes sense in some way when you look at the alternatives. I feel the same way about Derek Stingley and his 2019 tape. It, it, obviously, there have been plenty of things that happened between now and then. Sure. But in a draft without a Kyle Pitts or a Jamar Chase or even a Penny Sewell, the upside that you could potentially get from a Derek Stingley and what he was as a true freshman in the SEC sure. is a worthwhile bet. So I have no issue with that whatsoever, because when you go back and watch that season, he was special. And if he could do it then and you bring him into, I was going to say a better situation. I'm not that, sure.
0: That's that's my question. Yeah, kind of I'm,
1: not, I'm not sure the Houston Texans are a better situation than LSU over the last couple of years. But you you get him into a role where you know he's motivated, he's healthy. I would bet on him being able to do that again after seeing what he did as a 19 year old.
0: But that was two years ago.
1: He was hurt, and I I think there's a little bit of a mess there. I mean, it's, that's that's I, I'd a be okay problem.
0: That. <laughs> if, if if you're saying he's he has injury issues and he doesn't play well in a situation where things are a consistent mess, those are two things I'd be worried about if I was taking a player for the Houston Texans.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Again, I think I immediately was going to say in a better situation at Houston is. Potentially not a better situation.
0: I would say almost definitely not a better situation. I could
1: be looking for a new head coach this time next year again.
0: That that's the thing, is like on one hand, I think taking a cornerback for a Lovey Smith defense doesn't make a ton of sense at three, but what are the chances Lovey Smith is even the head coach of this team next year? Like what what defensive scheme is Josh McCown gonna run in twenty twenty three? I guess is the question you have to answer. Um, if you want to understand what the Texans are doing with their draft.
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know, they ran a lot of cover two last year, but they also, everybody runs a little bit of everything. They were 14th in the NFL and man in cover one snaps. I mean, they, I think that at this point, corners are going to be important no matter what system you end up running. I mean, they were 23rd. I'm looking at true media right now in the percentage of zone coverage they ran last year. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna play a man a third at a time. It's nice to have somebody with man coverage traits like a Derek Singley does. So I think corners are important really, no matter what scheme you're playing because that true blue cover too, just no longer really exists. They had the 10th highest man coverage percentage in the NFL last season under Levy Smith. So I think it's an okay swing.
0: Okay. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no competition and right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a jets pizza location near you again try jet signature eight corner pizza and get five dollars off with code eight save that's number eight s-a-v-e jets pizza better because it has to be one of the players Derek Sting will be covering in the AFC South is Traylon Burks, who was drafted unexpectedly by the Tennessee Titans with the 18th pick. I got to witness your reaction in real time to the A.J. Brown trade, very similar to my reaction in real time to the A.J. Brown trade, just not on camera. I think this is a fascinating deal. It's amazing. The Eagles and Tennessee. I'm so happy this trade happened. I feel like it's such a a it's not like stefan digs for justin jefferson because you know the the vikings didn't have that pick in their hands until they made the selection but it's the closest thing i can think of to that and i i'm really intrigued to see what this tells us about aj brown and it tells us about how tennessee is going to build their team in the years to come
1: it's interesting on so many different levels because not only is it an experiment in how paying wide receivers, because that's sure. what they're doing. They're they're trading out a guy who's about to get expensive for a guy who's very cheap. And when I was looking at the tennis, the Titans' plan and what it could be and whether they were going to try to shift with their offenses, that was on the table. They could try to pivot from this version of who they've been over the last couple of years. Instead, they drafted a receiver who is exactly like A.J. Brown, <laughs> They dra- a guy who has been compared to him several different times throughout the process. So they're not trying to change anything. They're just trying to get cheaper. That was the only thing they were trying to do by swapping out Traylon Burks for AJ Brown. And I just think that's so interesting when you look at it that way. I also think if I were the Eagles, I'd do this a hundred times out of a hundred. I think AJ Brown is a ridiculous superstar.
0: Oh yeah, and I mean, I think the funny part about all this is like we were talking about the Eagles drafting a wide receiver in the first round, and I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm like, well, they drafted JJ Arthiga Whiteside in the second round. They drafted Jalen Rager in the first round. They drafted. Nelson Aguilar in the first round a few years ago under Howie. Um they took Devontae Smith, who has was pretty exciting as a rookie. But like, what would lead you to believe that they are experts on drafting wide receivers in the first round? Like, like if anyone's going to take a sure thing, wouldn't it be the Eagles who I think outside of Dallas Goddard, they don't have a single player, um, in terms of their weapons who was on anything more than either the rookie deal or the minimum? Um You know like if any team could afford it if any team had the draft capital to pull it off if any team had the the argument for hey let's take the sure thing instead of the the major question mark i think the eagles were the perfect team to make that decision
1: we talked about this on the show we did a couple weeks ago about the 2016 draft and how the only real player pick for player trade was multiple first round picks that were involved that worked out was Jalen ramsey yep and Jalen ramsey was traded when he was 24 years old maybe even a little bit younger and it, that was for two first-round picks. They extended him immediately. There was no runway. They were getting that thing done. They knew he was going to be around. The mm-hmm. Eagles, Albert Brewer reported this today. They needed that deal in place before they were willing to make the trade. Yes. The deal is in place. He comes. It's for one first-round pick. A.J. Brown is 24 years old. Mm-hmm. And I do don't, I don't, not only love it because of that and all of those factors, I think there's several other things. One, I love the pairing with Devontae Smith. Stylistically, they're so different, the ways that they're built, what they're good at. Now you're asking Devontae Smith to be a supercharged number two receiver rather than being your true blue number one receiver. And I think based on his limitations physically, that's a perfect role for him in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I also just think the way that teams are going schematically on defense, having that guy who's a yak monster all of the time, who you can just spit the ball out to and create instant offense, no matter who your quarterback is, is such a weapon. It is so important to have a guy like that. And now they do. I so many different layers to it. I love it for Philadelphia. And I just, part of me thinks, am I losing my mind? Like, does not everyone think that A.J. Brown is like one of the 10 most valuable players in the league right now that's not a quarterback? Because I think it's pretty obvious. As a 24-year-old receiver, even with this contract extension, it's not a long list of guys that aren't quarterbacks in the NFL that I'd rather have than A.J. Brown.
0: I posted about it. I did a comparison between him and I think it was Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. And half the comments were like, of course he's just as good as them. What are you talking about? And the other half were, there's no way he's as good as them. What are you talking about? Which is usually a good sign um, that the comparison is 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 interesting enough to talk about. I I think he's a superstar.
1: I, I 100% agree. I
0: I don't know if he's going to get the the targets. You would need to put up like a crazy season, um, which is a bummer because I just listed him as the number one receiver to have a crazy season over the next few years. Um, and he just left Tennessee where he was. They were not throwing the ball a lot for an Eagles team that might throw the ball even less. But I. I guess, I don't know, I mean, do you think the Eagles come out next year and run the same offense they were running during the second half of 2021 when Jalen Hurts was healthy? Or do you think they run a more balanced offense and challenge Jalen Hurts to be, you know, run a a more pass-heavy attack than we saw in
1: 2021? I have to assume they'll throw the ball a little bit more often. But I don't think they're gonna be some pass happy team. I just I don't think that's the right way to do it when you have their personnel. I mean, they are the rare team who can be efficient while running the ball a lot. I mean, their rushing numbers are unlike any other team in the league. When you look at success rate, I mean, they were clearly the best team in the NFL last year. I, I'm pretty sure they finished number one in EPA per rush. Mm-hmm. And the Colts were in that general range but that's because Jonathan Taylor's hitting 500 foot home runs once every two games and the Eagles didn't need that the Eagles aren't getting a bunch of 70 yard touchdowns to inflate those numbers Mm -hmm. so I think leaning on that as still the bedrock of your identity on offense and then folding in those yak opportunities for AJ Brown and just giving him just easy buckets easy buckets for your quarterback that's how I would do it I mean that's exactly how Tennessee built it it obviously won't be the same you know, The Eagles are in shotgun 75% of the time. The Titans were under center 75% of the time. The structure of the offense can't be the same as it was. Mm-hmm. But I think that general philosophy of we're a running team, this is going to be a compliment off of it because it's easy offense. Having a number one receiver that gives you easy offense is just, it's such a weapon. And I think as teams play more shell coverage, as teams shift the ways that their defenses are structured in the NFL, these guys are only going to get more valuable.
0: Did you, or I guess, I guess given what the reports are, which is that AJ Brown, this is according to AJ Brown himself, says the Titans only offered him $16 million a year plus incentives to get to $20 million. for a guy who ended up signing, I think it was $25 million a year with the Eagles in the long run. I mean, do you, do you believe that they ever really wanted to get this deal done or do you think they were only going to sign AJ Brown if it was going to be a bargain?
1: It seems like it's the latter, which is just surprising to me. And it it puts raises like my antennas about what the Titans want to be next season yeah, and that's... where they're trying to go. I they they have the most expensive offense in the NFL this year in terms of cap dollars allocated to their offense. And part of that is they ate a bunch of dead money for Julio. Part of it is that Ryan Tannehill has the highest cap in the NFL among quarterbacks this season.
0: Yep, it's, I he, think it's... he he's the best quarterback in football, so that checks out. <laughs>
1: it's and it, it, that's a result of what they did last season. They sure. moved, they moved money. They tried to maximize their window and it didn't work out. And they're, they I they did not get much better this offseason. They got worse. They traded AJ Brown away. Even if you're optimistic about Trayvon Burks, this team is probably going to take a step back. I expected their step back and just the retooling that would happen between 2022 and 2023, them getting cheaper at quarterback mm-hmm. somehow. Just moving on from Ryan Ryan Tannehill was great for them. It was an amazing outcome when you trade a fourth round pick for a guy. They were one of the most efficient offenses in football over those last couple of years. But Ryan Tannehill is an example to me of a guy that just can't get you over the hump. He's never going to be special. He's never going to be that guy who, like we should say on our show, gets you a bucket when you need one. And that's okay. Ryan Tannehill is capped out at what he was. You're paying him $40 million. That's too much. His contract is up after the season you move on and you figure it out. But, and I thought part of that plan would be getting cheaper quarterback and then being able to afford A.J. Brown and you have A.J. Brown at $23 million a year as the weapon for whoever your quarterback is going to be. Yes.
0: Now Um, I have no
1: idea what the the plan is going to be because it's they flipped it on its head a little bit.
0: I mean, it seems like the plan is going to be one more year of Ryan Tannehill, who was under contract in 2023, but they can get out of it, um, they can save $18 million or so in gotcha. money by releasing him. Um, and I would assume Traylon Burke catching passes from Malik Willis, who they drafted, I believe, in the third round of this year's draft. And I mean, you know, for a guy who was supposed to be drafted much higher, there were talk, talk he'd go as high as maybe the sixth overall pick to Carolina. I mean, getting Malik Willis in the third round, even if you don't think he's necessarily a lock to be your long-term starter, at least that's a a building block. That is a first place to start from when you think about your future after Ryan Tannehill. And I mean, this is a, this is such a weird team because they've taken so many strange swings that haven't worked out. I mean, they had multiple first round picks like Corey Davis, like Jack Conklin, um, like Adoree Jackson, who would have been the building blocks of this team move on uh, because they were not interested in picking up their fifth year option. And we've seen them go out and get Bud Dupree, and that move didn't work great in his first season, even though Harold Landry then had a career year. Um, we saw them set a second round pick for Julio Jones on a, a trade that turned out to be terrible. They went out and got Robert Woods in the cheap, which I think is a much better move. But like they're, they have a veteran core that is talented, but even as the one seed this year, I mean, it, it never felt like they were. A team you would count on, even with home field advantage, to beat the Chiefs or beat the Bills in the postseason. And I think that's the concerning thing, because if that core couldn't do it a year ago, what is a lesser core going to do in 2022?
1: That's what I thought about them last year. I thought their core was not as good as it was in 2020. So if a lesser core in 2020 couldn't get it done, why would they be able to get it done in 2021? And they lucked into the one seed and all that. But it's, it's a similar conversation to the one I had for most of last season and going into last season. I just didn't understand why the 2021 Titans would be a more dangerous team than the 2020 Titans. And even if their record was very good, they weren't as dangerous. Their offense was not nearly as efficient. They weren't the machine that they had been at times for the previous two seasons. And now I think it's even a more pronounced version of that, a more pronounced version of that same conversation about why would we expect more results? And I, I just feel like this team – this version of who the Titans are Mm -hmm. has probably run its course. And I just, I just don't know. And that's okay. They're D. i mean, I'm I'm talking about mostly on offense. Mm -hmm. I think their defense, I loved watching their defense last year. I thought that they had some young pieces that were really good, but their offense is old and expensive. And I think it's best days are behind them. And when your best days are being the most efficient offense in football for stretches, that can be okay. I just think it's probably time to change things up. And this is not how I expected them to do it necessarily
0: i i mean you at first you said the titans lucked into the number one scene and then you said they've run their course on offense so you're going to get some angry messages i think from tennessee fans possibly after they listen to this podcast i would not say either of those things they earned the number one seed nothing to do with the bills somehow losing to the jaguars uh inexplicably that's another story Does any
1: reasonable fans. human think that the titans were the best team in the afc last year
0: mm-hmm. I don't think so i think they were like 18th in dvoa (laughs) yeah i
1: don't I, i feel like it's not a controversial opinion no it's not
0: but um another team that runs the ball quite a bit and made a trade involving a wide receiver during the nfl draft is the baltimore ravens who traded marquise brown hollywood brown and a third round pick to the cardinals for a first round pick so two things came to light afterwards that sort of gave some context to the trade even if i don't think it makes total sense necessarily number one Marquise Brown reportedly requested a trade, had been doing so for a while. Even though Lamar Jackson yelled at me on Twitter for suggesting that Marquise (laughs) Brown would get traded to the Kansas City Chiefs, Marquise Brown has had a trade request in for over a year, Lamar Jackson. You know that. Don't troll me on Twitter. I will block you if I have to. Number two, we found out today that DeAndre Hopkins is suspended for the first six games of the NFL season. So, Mays, let me ask you. Given how Steve Kime thinks, given Kyler Murray's unhappiness with what's going on in Arizona, do you think you can justify this trade of sending a first round pick for a third rounder and Hollywood Brown? No. Okay, can you give me a a, a a bit more detail than no?
1: I just think that Hollywood Brown is, I mean, look what AJ Brown just got traded for. Sure. Uh, Hollywood Brown's just not in that same, range of player and it's just a lot to give up for somebody that you know where does hollywood brown rank among the nf uh, the receivers in the nfl seeing the top 20.
0: i think he's probably on on the border of the top 20. that's a lot to
1: give up for somebody Born in that range. range
0: well i think the tough part is is that you are yes he is cheap for the next couple of years because you're picking up his fifth year option i think it's about 15 million dollars for the next two years but you're giving up a first round pick for a team that has cap issues, that has major holes on the defensive side of the ball, and you're adding another wide receiver and like what's the long term plan here? Are you going to let Marquise Brown lead after two years, in which case you traded a, a first round pick for one cheap season and one slightly below market season for a player who I mean, I think Marquise Brown is super talented, but I, I think even Ravens fans would say he's inconsistent. Um Are you gonna sign him to an extension? And then you have Kyler making big money. You have James Conner making big money for a running back. You have DeAndre Hopkins making huge money. Marquise Brown making big money. Zach Ertz making big money. They use a second round pick on Trey McBride. I mean, I'm all for spending money on on the the people around your quarterback, but like, what is the long-term vision for how the Cardinals are gonna build a team around that passing offense?
1: I have no idea. I was gonna ask you, like, (laughs) what are the Cardinals? Like if you to, if you had to try to explain what the Cardinals are and what they want to be, I, I have a really hard time doing it. I I don't know. I don't know how these things are all supposed to correspond with one another.
0: I I think they are a seven on seven team that wants to just score forty five points a game, and that philosophy. I mean, I'm I'm all for trying to score points. That has not led them to success in the second half of seasons. They've burned out each of the last two years. And I, I would love to tell you they have a plan, but I just think I, I just feel like they think maybe they can manufacture pressure with blitzes, that they're not gonna have to add significant pass rush help. Maybe they'll sign somebody in, in the weeks to come in free agency, but I I just feel like they've invested so much into pieces around Kyler Murray. And I I'm I'm just gonna throw this out there. Like Kyler Murray has been good. So far as a pro, but it's not like he's been Justin Herbert. It's not like he's been Patrick Mahomes. It's not like he's been Josh Allen. Like, like I, I, you would sign Kyler Murray, no question to an extension. I don't think you want to move on from him. But it's not like Kyler Murray has been just an absolute, you know, no-brainer superstar franchise quarterback. And I, I think that has to be concerning. I, I think I, I would wonder about, you know... Uh, should I be investing in other places thinking that I, I want to try and win games with a more balanced philosophy? Cause I don't know if Kyler can necessarily shoulder that load of being the guy who has to score 40 points a game for us to win.
1: If you look at the way they've spent resources, they had spent two first round picks and back-to-back seasons on linebackers. I mean, they have spent resources to help Kyle and Murray, but they also haven't spent high value resources in smart or effective ways. I think Vance Joseph has done a really good job of of keeping that defense in the top 10 by a lot of advanced metrics when the pieces don't necessarily fit together in a way that makes sense. I'll present this to you. Okay. It's next spring. The Cardinals do not come to an agreement with Kyler Murray that that standoff continues. Mm -hmm. The dolphins. It's run its course with Tua. they understand this is not going to work out. He's not our guy. Sure. What would if you were the Dolphins and I? They they have it because they have an extra first round pick next year. Actually, they have beyond. the
0: Niners' first round pick as yeah, well. So
1: the, yeah, so they have two first round picks next year. Would you give up both of those first round picks and sign a market level extension for Kyler Murray next spring if you were the Dolphins?
0: Oh boy, Stephen Ross thinks differently than I do. Uh, I, I I guess it depends on if you think you can use those two first round picks to get a quarterback in the draft who is relatively cheap, but that's the I, problem is there's
1: going to be like eight teams trying to do that next that's,
0: year. Yes. That is the tough part. So I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I think you have to be realistic about what your roster construction is going to be. Like you have to protect Kyler Murray. You can't have him running for his life week after week. And that could be a problem in Miami where that seems to be sort of, part of what the quarterback's job is, but I mean the Cardinals, they did add Rodney Hudson last year. They have DJ Humphrey signed to a big deal, but this has been a, a team that's been sort of getting by in a lot of spots. And, and again, like I don't I, I it, it's very tough to think of a lot of games where Kyler Murray struggled and the Cardinals won. And I think for the Dolphins, I want to believe they at least have a good enough defense where they can win games as a balanced team. For the Cardinals, I I know that they're like on a per drive basis and, and on a purpose basis, they're really good. But I think that team gets tired and and deals with injuries, deals with, with, with issues by the end of the year that drag them down. And and I think it's just they're not deep at all. They're not deep. They're, they don't they don't draft in a way to be deep. They don't build their roster in a way. To be deep. They do a lot of free agent deals with with voidable years. They have dead money each year. Like and, and they spend a lot of money on, you know, players like James Conner, who I love James Conner. He has a great story, but that's not a great way to run your team. Um, Think
1: about how old their free agent signings have been over the last few years. The players that they've gone out to get on purpose, JJ Watt, sure. even you trading for Rodney Hudson? Yep. Trading for Zach Ertz. It's a team that has invested in players that are, in their 30s for the most part and james Conner is definitely in his 30s by running back years yeah so it's just a difficult way to build a team and if they want to be a seven on seven team that's fine but the rams get to play aaron donald in seven on seven <laughs> so if you want to construct your team that way it's probably and if you watch that playoff game last year that's what it felt like it felt oh. like they were a seven on seven team and the rams still got aaron donald
0: It felt like it was a one-on-seven team, because I felt like Kyler Murray was just running for his life against the Rams front seven. I mean, it it feels to me a lot like the Giants, but with a better decision at quarterback.
1: Yes. I mean, they literally signed Will Hernandez this offseason to be like a stopgap starter for them at guard. So it's a very similar situation. And Justin Pugh is on this team. Mm -hmm. They're just going to get old Giants linemen. I forgot about that. (laughs)
0: and their their top pass rusher is marcus golden so it all comes full circle um finishing up here a couple more decisions i wanted to ask you about um let me head to i feel like the decision that i would be kicked off football twitter if i argued with i feel like everybody is in love with the eagles trading up two spots to get jordan davis moving up from 15 to 13 Is there any argument that can be made that it's not a good idea?
1: They gave up a lot to
0: do it. Yeah,
1: that's part of it. They gave up a lot to only move up two spots. I I think uh, Connor McQuiston, who uh, does some analytics work on Twitter, uh, he put up a a graphic about all of the pick-for-pick trades, uh, I think in the first round or in some range like that. And the Eagles gave up the most to make that move up two spots. When When you consider some of the other deals in the first round, they gave up a ton. I'm um, looking at it right now. It, it's sorry, this is terrible podcasting, but
0: it was a, a four, a five, and a five. One twenty-four, one sixty-two, and one sixty-six to move up from fifteen to thirteen.
1: So if you're looking at the Pittsburgh, the Fitzgerald Spielberger trade chart that the guys that over the cap developed, that's the equivalent of the 28th pick. Ooh. To to go up and do that. And that I mean that's a ton. The Saints to do what they did for Chris Olave, it's the 46th pick. The Lions only gave up the 103rd pick to move up all the way to get Jamison Williams.
0: Okay, can, now, we, all of the- can we talk about that really quick? Sure. Okay, so um, I feel like we're being very critical of Quisea Mensa, but this is like, this is someone who developed a trade chart years ago for the 49ers who became a general manager. Like for years, you know he made this trade chart and was looking at what the Niners were doing and just thinking, "Oh, you got to trade down. You got to trade down." And finally he gets his chance and I feel like he just it, it was like that scene in Breaking Bad when Jesse leaves the uh leaves the compound and just like drives away <laughs> screaming. It was like that but trading down for extra picks.
1: I'm fine with the deal. They got they got an extra they got 34 they got an extra third rounder out of it an early third rounder out of it i'm i'm
0: fine with it i'm just saying i i guarantee he has thought more about draft pick value and done more research on draft pick value than the vast vast majority of gms anywhere it might not work out but i feel like i feel like the vikings felt pretty comfortable making that deal i'll just say that well
1: that's why there's really no way for us to know you know the models that have been put together. Uh, I know the, the Chase Stewart model is based on AV, which has its own issues. I think there's definitely a better way to do it than the Jimmy Johnson chart, which is 30 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are teams everywhere that have their own proprietary models For when sure. it comes to pit, trade value. So when we see these deals, based on all of the conventional ways we have to understand the value of draft picks, we can judge them, right. but they have their own way of doing this. And I, sure. I think that it creates some opacity in terms of how we can understand what the value of those picks actually is to some of these teams
0: for sure we have a language that is very imperfect that we know and every other team has a language they know better than everyone else in the league so i think just having that one shared language is imperfect but that's the reality that you know even if you have your own model you're going to talk to teams through a model that other teams are comfortable with so that's usually going to be the jimmy johnson model
1: Yes. It's so funny that you're speaking one language to the rest of the teams, but you're speaking a completely different language in your own building. And you're projecting two different languages at the same time to the media when you're trying to explain what these trades are. It's just, it's a very, very strange game of telephone.
0: Every single team is on the phone, like, yeah, this is a good deal. And then they have like, like their hand on the receiver and they're just laughing to themselves. Yeah, it's exactly right.
1: It's exactly right.
0: (laughs) But but every single team feels that way.
1: So here's the, about the Jordan Davis deal. And I said this on our show today, and I'm, I'm curious what you think about this. Okay, If you look at what the Eagles have done, sure, what the Jets did in this draft, mm-hmm. and then some conversations I've had with other people at other organizations that either work for the Eagles or have had similar thinking to the Eagles. Mm-hmm. I I have a theory, and it's, it's a budding theory, that some of the analytically driven teams around the NFL are starting to devalue picks like outside of the top 120. Okay. And they don't feel those picks are necessarily as valuable as maybe the conventional wisdom associated with the rest of the league does. Mm-hmm. And if you look at what the Eagles did in this draft, they essentially said screw it with all those picks and use some of them to move to get Jordan Davis. Mm-hmm. The Jets did something similar. The Jets didn't really pick outside of the top 125 despite all of the picks they had coming into this draft.
0: Yep.
1: And so if you look at where the, I mean Joe Douglas worked for the Eagles. So it's, I'm wondering if there's some sort of conversation happening in an analytical way inside Philadelphia's building. We're like, you know what, we're not really concerned with picks outside of a certain range. We would rather use those as ammunition to go up and get premium players.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's defensible. Certainly those picks are not super valuable. I mean, how many fourth rounders did the Ravens have this year? Six. That's six.
1: <laughs> I I don't I don't necessarily love it as a strategy just because when you can hit on one of those fourth round picks, it's so incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know the math on it, but I would rather have more bites at the apple, even in that range. I think even you get into five and six and seven, maybe yeah. it changes. But that we have enough anecdotal evidence of fourth round picks hitting where having more of them and just cheap dice rolls can work out for you. And the Ravens are the epitome of that, right? Right.
0: Well, the balance changes, right? I mean, if teams don't value those fifth or sixth round picks and they're trading them for nothing, well, then that's a valuable pick. That becomes more valuable because you don't have to trade much to get it. But if teams are overvaluing those picks, I think smart teams are right to, you know, use those as trade chits to move around and try and get more valuable picks in the top 100. So I think it's just you know, it, it's fluid. It's not just a, a static thing where you do one study and then you're you're good for the next 10 years. So I, I feel like I, I, something to monitor at the very least to see how teams sort of value those picks. I think we'll see some pretty dramatic swings from, you know, whether it's teams who are very aggressive with those, those late round picks or teams who don't really care about those late round picks and are just going to hold on to them and, and try to amass them and take their shots. And even if they cut You know, a a two or three fourth round picks in camp. If they can land two or three guys, it's going to be worth it for them.
1: If you looking at the way the draft fell, if you're going to try to defend the Eagles' decision, I do think that there is a drop off between Jordan Davis and really the rest of the players in the first round when it comes to what they are as prospects. You know, Jermaine Johnson's a little bit older. I think the league did not value Jermaine Johnson in the same way that some pre draft people might have. But look at the guys that went right after Jordan Davis Kyle Hamilton. The yeah. Eagles, under no circumstances in any conceivable universe, are going to draft the safety in the first round. You
0: it's don't just, think it's so?
1: no, wow, okay, no. I think, I think, may, maybe the tail end of the first round, maybe it's not as defined a line in the sand as it would be with linebacker where hell would freeze over before they would even think about it. But I do think that they, that organization devalues the safety position. If it, they're looking at positional value, surplus value available, the contracts that those guys sign, it's not at all surprising that they were willing to trade up for Jordan Davis rather than take Kyle Hamilton, even with a needed safety. That That's not surprising to me at all. So you have Kyle Hamilton, even if he's a really good player, is at a devalued position at 14. Mm -hmm. A guard went 15. Jahan Dotson, who is a small receiver who some people had as a second-round pick, tabbed as a second-round pick, went 16. Another guard went 17. They traded the 18th pick for A.J. Brown. And then you have Trevor Penning, who is clearly, by everyone who knows what they're looking at, and even in the little bit that I watched, a significant step down from the other tackles. And then it's just kind of a hodgepodge after that. So i can understand the eagles sitting there saying we have 13 players Mm -hmm. in this range that's why we want to go up and get get jordan davis
0: i i don't agree with you that the eagles don't value safeties i i think that they have valued them recently but think about their super bowl team they had malcolm jenkins on a significant deal they had uh rodney mcleod uh running cloud on on a on a free agent deal i I, I, I believe that if they had not been able to trade up and the Ravens had taken Jordan Davis at 13, I think they would have taken Kyle Hamilton at 14. Maybe what, what do you, what, if, do you th- what do you think they would have done if they couldn't trade up to get Jordan Davis? It's a great question.
1: I don't I don't know. I maybe they would have taken Kyle Hamilton, but I there's a difference between taking a player in the first round and being able to being willing to spend a little bit in free agency on that player. I, I think the Eagles believe there are always safeties available you can always find safeties through some avenue. And that tends to be true. In nearly every free agent class, there's a couple safeties that end up getting signed to significant money. That is not the case with difference makers on either line, for the most part. I think it's harder to find high-end offensive and defensive linemen than it is to find high-end safeties in free agency. And I think the Eagles would agree with that.
0: I agree. But couldn't you make the case that Jordan Davis... As of right now, we'll see what happens with him as a pro is a absolute freak athlete. I mean, we can't leave that aside, but like, does he profile as someone who's going to be a, a difference maker as a pass rusher? Probably not. Like,
1: I think we're it, changing the way we think we talk and think about those players up front.
0: I, I agree,
1: but you can have pass value and not be a pure pass rusher.
0: Sure. I agree. If with you that can too.
1: steal gaps back and that's how the Eagles want to play. I think you can make an argument that Jordan Davis has as much value to the Eagles passing game as Javon Hargrave, who is probably the second best interior pass rusher in the league right now. You can make that argument. You can make that argument for the way the Eagles want to play and the value he can provide their defense, even if he's never going to be somebody who gets more than two and a half sacks, three sacks a year.
0: I mean, yes. I agree, and, and the league is changing for sure. But I, you can I think make an
1: argument that guy is not worth taking at thirteen, though. That that you, you the can find like, that guy later in the draft.
0: Right, like the Rams had guys like Ayesha Robinson, Sebastian right. Joseph Day. And Sebastian Joseph Day. Like I, I think if if Jordan Davis is just that guy, I, I feel like the the certainty with which everyone has said, oh, what a great move they got this guy. He's not the same sort of player, and in totally different circumstances. But remember how sure people were that Andre Dillard was a great move to move two spots and get a few years ago. Like, uh, we're, we're a little too cocky about how much we know about filling a hole and getting the right guy with a little trade-up like this. I, I, I
1: agree with you. Uh, in, in, almost, in most situations, I, I'm totally with that. I think that the certainty p- teams have about players is often misguided. I think it, going back to the conversations we've had about other players in the top half of the first round, Trayvon Walker, Derek Stingley, the ceiling with Jordan Davis is astronomically high. <laughs> Yes. It is just—it's unbelievable. Yes. He is there. Is there has never been a human being at the NFL Combine like Jordan Davis. That's not an exaggeration. There has never been someone like him, and I think that's why it's kind of what I was saying about the players behind him. Even mm-hmm. If it were not certain about evaluations and all of that, there is a defined and indisputable gap For between sure. what Jordan Davis is as an athlete and the players that were picked behind him in the first round.
0: One of his 10 most uh, significant comps on mock draftable is Bilal Nichols. So I guess if the Eagles get Bilal Nichols, that'll be a success for them.
1: <laughs> Listen, I love Bilal Nichols. Bilal Nichols is one of the few things I've had to hang my hat on in the last five <laughs> years.
0: Do you have any bearish thoughts to finish up?
1: It's It's disappointing to have to kind of resign yourself to, I understand going and getting two players from the secondary in the first two rounds, because there are no players on the team. They are so, so, the roster is so barren and I, you could go any direction. I think it's really hard, even if you can defend the first and second round picks and not getting any help from your quarterback after not doing much to help your quarterback in free agency, Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to defend drafting a 25 year old kick returner without a lot of college production in the third round when there were still players on the board it, it's he, obviously he tested well he's fast but other than that there just aren't a lot of things that point to him being a successful nfl player when you have guys like david bell right mm-hmm. david bell in the third round or jalen tolbert in the third round the ceiling is decidedly lower than it is with somebody who runs a 4 3 theoretically but we've seen so many times recent years over the past decade or so that we overrate testing mm-hmm. for receivers, especially guys who can play inside. And so if they just had somebody who could be a reliable, steady presence and I think David Bell is going to play for the Browns this year. I think. Right? I think he's going to be, he's going to replace Jarvis Landry. He's going to get snaps for that. I think Jalen Tolbert is probably gonna be able to come in and play in three receiver sets for the Cowboys this year. And the, the bears don't have it any playable receivers outside of Byron Pringle and and, uh, Darnell Mooney. That's Mm. it. And think about how those guys are built. I would have loved someone who was just a more traditional body that could go out there and play the position and just give your quarterback somebody to throw to. Jarvis Landry is still available in free agency. There there are still moves to potentially be made to add help. This is such a good reminder of what happens when there is misalignment between how the team is built and who's in charge
0: Mm -hmm. when
1: you come in after another regime has traded a first round pick for a quarterback even if you believe in that quarterback you are not incentivized to leverage the rest of your team building plan to stretch yourself too thin to help that quarterback succeed and they were already in a hole there's a reason that ryan pace turned six picks into 11 picks and just said i want as many of these sixth and seventh round rolls of the dice as I possibly can have because we have no cheap players on this team. Mm -hmm. There's such an 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 unbalanced aspect of this with how they're trying to build this thing. So I think that you can see it two ways. He's digging himself out of a hole. He's doing everything he can to dig himself out of a hole. There's no reason to go out of your way to help the quarterback to throw off the rest of that plan. But I do think the 25-year-old receiver they drafted in the third round fits neither of the plans they're trying to fulfill.
0: Or drafting a punter in the seventh round,
1: perhaps? A seventh round pick for a punter, I am okay with. But you team spent fourth round picks on punters this year. But
0: those teams are in slightly different circumstances than the Chicago. I,
1: I think I think a seventh round pick when you got eleven picks drafted using one on a punter is okay. You that, mentioned, I, that I have no concern with.
0: You mentioned the Bears were in a hole. I'm afraid Justin Fields might be buried in that hole behind this offensive line for most of 2022. I I I I just it feels like a waste. It just feels like you you can't evaluate anything given the circumstances. Like even if you want to have a better idea of what Justin Fields is going to be, you're just not gonna know.
1: If just if Justin Fields does not get better, if Justin Fields fails, it's heartbreaking as a Bears fan. Heartbreaking when you think about how important he was and them going up to get him and the, the quarterback misery that those people in Chicago have endured for decades. Mm -hmm. But if, if you're Ryan Poles and Justin Fields fails, it's not your fault. Wasn't your pick. Sure. You're trying, you're trying to build a team. And that's, that's kind of where this sits. And that's why it's frustrating. And that's why when you have previous regimes leveraging themselves in that moment to try to save their jobs and you have to act out of desperation, it never sets up the next regime. Well, but Sam Darnold didn't play well for Joe Douglas. Guess what? Didn't matter. (laughs) Joe Douglas still has a job. So we have tons of examples of that. And as hard as that is to stomach as a Bears fan, that that might eventually be what happens here. I think we have a lot of evidence that that's often how it works when you are a front office that comes in and you are not the guy that invested in that quarterback.
0: I can't wait to play, have you back on the show later on this year and play a game of, is this person actually on the Chicago Bears roster or not? We have to do that during training camp. You can do it with the receivers now. <laughs> I mean, you talked about Byron Pringle as if he was like, oh, well, at least we have Byron Pringle. That's sure the move things. they
1: made this spring. <laughs> that is the biggest move they made in free agency was to go get Byron Pringle.
0: Uh, Equinemius St. Brown is on the roster. Come on. I know <laughs> the guys on the roster, Barnwell. Trust
1: me, I'm well aware of who is on the Bears roster.
0: We will, we will, we will save this game until August, but until then, Robert Mays, where can people check out more of your NFL knowledge?
1: Oh my God. Just go look at it right now. Go, go to (laughs) ourlads.com. I'm I'm there. Look at the Bears. Look at the Bears jump chart. Look at all of the college free agents. They're on the two deep. It's not like they're on the back half of the roster. They're on the two deep because they had no players on the team before this weekend happened. Oh my God. It's so depressing. It's so depressing. (laughs) All right, you can listen to the athletic football show where you can hear just more Bears misery uh, all the time. We had a show we did with Nate Tice. We, got, we love lessons on our show. So we did the lessons we learned from the draft that ran on Monday. And we've got a couple more shows coming this week. Uh, Lindsey Jones and I are going to talk about really the big questions still left, You know, when, whether it's team needs or some of the other lingering things we want to answer after the draft. We're going to chat about that later this week. So we're going to be doing three shows a week all through the off season, all through May, June, and July. So if you need a a football podcast digging into just ridiculous minutiae in order to pass the time, uh, we're we're there for you.
0: Very promising. Thank you, Mays. I got you. Of course, had to have Robert Mays on after the draft. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We have more audio coming next week. Thanks so much for listening.